Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Morning again. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I would say that fall or autumn is upon us. I asked somebody two days ago if it was spring yet. And I do like the holiday season. I like to eat. And it's that it's that time afterwards. It's that January and February. That's just hard for me. So but I'm grateful that we live here in Kansas City. So I moved here in November, on November 11th, 1989. We arrived from Arizona. And I've been here since then. Brenda and I were talking about it with each other this week. And it's been such a sweet journey. And uh, we left for a while and then came back, but it was, it was a brief, a brief gone, so. Uh, let me do an introduction to this, and then we'll get started this morning. But let's pray a prayer of blessing on our hearts to receive. Um, Paul prayed in his great apostolic prayer that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And I don't know of anything that is more uh, stimulating for a believer's life than to get enlightenment from God. When that happens, when he drops a nugget into your heart, I... Uh, had it this week and then I watched it happen with somebody else this week and man when God goes and there's just like this breath or the pneuma or an insight uh, an illumination of something it lifts your heart higher and higher it just goes whoa and and you know and you know and you know and it's on you know you know the one who created all this I also was watching this because uh, there's nothing on TV. I was watching this Nova series on the planets. Now, I know that's all godless, right? They, you know, everything's from a, it's just a purely human, human scientific study and all that and all the probes that we've sent in the earth. But, oh my gosh, God's in phenomenal. How each of the planets, what I didn't realize, and maybe, maybe all of you did, and I'm just slow, but that not just the sun has gravitational pull, but the other planets have gravitational pull within them. So if Neptune doesn't stay where it is, Earth dissolves. Not just the sun, but if one of them, if one of the planets gets out of alignment, everything goes wonky here. Because they're pulling on us just like the sun is pulling us. Now the gravity of the sun is it's much denser and all that. But it's just fascinating. I was just thinking through all the Psalms about talking about the firmament and all those things. And then I was thinking back to Carl Sagan, if any of you remember who he was. And he'd talk about, he's dead now, and don't know if he's in heaven or not. But uh, he would talk about billions and billions of stellar stuff. And... That's all very true, except the stellar stuff is billions and billions of light years away from each other. And we don't think about that. 
that the asteroid belt and then you think of Star Wars and think all the rocks and them flying around the asteroids and stuff. But between the asteroids that actually exist in the asteroid belt is vast areas, light years of space between each other. And it's an unforgiving environment. You know, we talk about space travel and we look at science fiction. It's barking at the moon, you guys. It's just, I don't even know why we're wasting the energy to try to get to Mars. It's uninhabitable. One, you know, I, bear with me, it's my humor this morning, but I can go from upstairs to downstairs and forget what I went downstairs for. Now, some of you want to attribute that to my age, but I did that before, too. And, uh, and you think, and then you put astronauts, if they make one mistake and forget to push one button or leave the crack of anything open, they die. There cannot ever be a mistake. I mean, it's an unforgiving environment. So anyway, that was for free. <laughs> Pretty stunned by it. Pray with me. So God, you know all knowledge. You know beginning and end. You know the time of creation, and you know the boundaries of it. You are the vastness of space. And you created all things. And all things were created, it says, for you. So that includes us. And so we ask this morning, in being your creation, illuminate our hearts with what you want us to hear and see this morning. Take the words uh, that I introduce and that, that I talk about, and I just ask that each person would receive just that, that nugget from you that they're supposed to get today that will help them right where they're at because you care for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Study of 1 John. And I, want, I have to do a little bit of introduction with it to go back and rem remember who's writing it. Here's this old guy writing it uh, to the church that he's become a part of after he's gone through uh, isolation, after he's lived a long life, he's watched all of his fellow disciples get martyred, or didn't watch them, but he knows that they're all dead. He's... Uh, we don't know if he was feeble or not, but he's definitely old. He's in his 90s at the time that he wrote this. It's not a safe time for believers. Uh, even to gather together and how he speaks to them, it wasn't safe for them to gather together, and they did it anyway. Um, they, it could be interrupted at any time. Uh, he survived several of the horrendous Caesars, that have been ruling the world, and now it's one of the dispatian, one of the, one of the worst ones. Who that's where more of the martyring of Christians happened. They got blamed for everything. Started with Nero, actually, I started with Claudius, and kept moving forward. And they kept blaming them that they were using their god to attack their gods, and that all the bad stuff that was happening on the earth was because of Christians who were believing a false god. And worshiping, I mean, it's the exact opposite of culture of what we think of today. 
Um, everything was their fault, and therefore when they gathered together, it, immediately there was suspicion about it. You know, if there was a small group of them together meeting on a corner, other people would turn them in to the authorities. So you're getting a picture of what it, and, you know, and then when you read the things that First John, what he starts writing about in, in this wonderful, remember, he's not, he's not particularly writing a theological thesis like Paul did with Romans or what Paul, a correction to people like Paul wrote to several of the churches, Galatians, uh, the church at Corinth, those type of things. He's writing an encouraging letter because it's a discouraging time. It's a really difficult time for believers, and he understands that as the last patriarch of the disciples that walked with him on the earth. So I give you a it should give you a, a, a little understanding because it makes you read it so different. If you forget who the author was, was it inspired of God? Yes. Was it the Holy Spirit? Yes. Through John. And, you know, him being referred to as John the Beloved, you know, because he told the stories of, of how much he loved Jesus and how much Jesus loved him. And so that story gets repeated over and over and over again. I don't want to sound like an intro to the Lord of the Rings movie. You know, myth becomes legend and legend becomes, you know, and it moves on like that. But this is, this is like one of the most phenomenal things that God within his power and structure, think about this, saved this for you and I today. Saved this word in this form through this guy that was a kid when Jesus was on the earth. He was a teenager walking with them. And then God saves that as a special, if you will, a kiss from heaven to you and I. Now that'll change the way you read it. You just sit down and contemplate those things before you start reading it. So we, we looked at in the first part, we started at the end of 1 John, and now we've jumped forward to the first one because the primary purpose he's writing this, he tells us this, we'll read it again now together. So, so he says, that which was from the beginning... He just starts. He just starts talking. Now think of, um, I don't know. Maybe you look at me that way. Think of your grandpa sitting with you in the living room, and he's going to tell you a story about his past and his family and what he did with his life. Right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. So he's giving a first a testimony that counts huge under law which we have looked upon and our hands have handled in other words he's saying I touched him you guys he was there I touched him concerning the word of life now, he could have just said Jesus but what does he say concerning the word of life so he's going, the things I'm going to tell you right now, these concern your life and where you're at. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, I have to give you a little, little thing again. So he's saying... 
we were seeing Jesus, but you have to remember the stuff that I wrote before in the Gospel of John. We were seeing Jesus, but we were seeing a manifestation of the Father, of God on the earth. And we touched that. We were seeing and heard and touched exactly what God is like. You go, you start going, your heart beats just a little bit faster. You know, they say to re reading the word, you can read it just flippantly, or you can read it with great reverence. And I think getting the background on it helps us read it with great reverence. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you right now. He's making, he's making a, he's making a huge shout. That you, now here comes the invitation, may have fellowship with us. Now, he's not saying so that we can hang out and have a good time with each other. He's saying, so this, the purpose of us being together is to have fellowship over who God is. To encourage one another, to strengthen one another. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your Joy may be full. Most of the time, for all of us as believers, joy is dependent upon circumstances. I'd like to say it's not. I'd like to say, gee, I'm just joyful every day and every minute. And Brenda would cough. <coughs> uh, that's just not true. So much, think of our living. So much of our living is, how well did it go at work today? If you homeschool your kids, oh, they got it today. Today was a win, and you're joyful. And tomorrow, you want to send them off to old Alcatraz. <laughs> or you, wanna, you, you read the morning news, and you want to start chanting, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> or... You read something else and you go, how can they do that to a kid who's accused of, and you fill in the blank. And your joy just seems to run through a sieve. And you believe that you have a cup and you pray, here's my cup, Lord, fill it up. And it's got holes in it and all the joy runs out. So we come back to the word and we read this. And he says, so that your joy, not in reading this, but that you would have fellowship with what you're reading, have fellowship with each other, because you can have fellowship with God and it's always open and always accessible to you. There's no distance. There's no delay. God is with you as an eternal being forever now. Most believers that I talk to are looking forward to the, to the day that they enter heaven because they see that as eternity. But you have eternal life now residing within you that can change the way you look at circumstances of life on a daily basis so that your joy remains full.
filled with joy. Okay, so what we did last week, and we started looking at all of that's true, and then he starts describing some hindrances that can get in the way of joy. And we started last week with the issue of sin, and he deals with it so wonderfully. And he, he tells us at, at uh, this point in 1 John 1.8 that when we confess sin, God is always, and it's not an if-then, the response is, when you confess, God's there, and he's going to forgive you. You don't have to convince God to forgive you. We spent most of last Sunday on that. God already forgave you in Christ. You have the access. You go to God because you are forgiven. You don't go to God to try and talk him into forgiving you. That's not the purpose of confession. It's not the purpose of even what, we, what we've called traditionally repentance. Jesus died once for all, for all. It's a done deal. So part of the joy of the fellowship that we have is I don't have to be reluctant to come to him. I can run to him every time, even when I'm at my worst. And he's there. And he's not setting up a line that says, this is just one time too many, but no, ain't going to work. And, but we pray that way, don't we? We think we're at the, okay, that was it. I really crossed the line there. And so we treat God that way. You go, no, come here. Let's, I want to fellowship with you over this. Why? So that your joy will remain full. If I know that God is indeed merciful, my joy should be full. My joy should remain in there and full. Am I remorseful for something bad I've done? Yes. Does it hurt other people? Yes. Does it hurt me? Yes. Does it hurt God? It did. He died for it. But he dies no more. So that means I can, I can stay. I'm not going to lose the joy. Is this making sense? I'm not going to lose the joy of that fellowship. Nobody can take it away from you. You can forget it. You can go, I'm not going to deal with that. But how stupid is that? Have you ever been stupid? <clears throat> Here's the hand raisings. Yes. But we also, we, we've missed the point of what God has done, that our joy, that his joy should remain. He prayed this in John 17, that their joy, that it would remain. Are you joyful in God? If not, you're missing the access or you have hindrances. So if sin's that, that's the issue of sin. But here's the second one he talks about. This is actually a hindrance to our joy being full. Look at 1 John 2.9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He can't, he can't hear a joyful sound. He can't see a joyful face. 
And this word hate is interesting because it doesn't exactly mean the hate that we think of today. Like, I hate that. It's not that. It's a disdainful attitude towards somebody else. It's what Paul referred to as knowing someone after the flesh. So that means all the person's idiosyncrasies, all of their behavior that you didn't like, that you have judged, and the disdain and coldness in, that, in, the, in your heart and their character qualities that you feel towards them, he says, that's, you know, that's darkness. It's a, it's a really difficult thing. And we're called into fellowship with other saints. And this has become one of the most distorted things. So this is the only thing I can do. Because ha having lived this many years and having gone through several different time periods of the church with God and growing up in a non-Christian environment and then getting pulled into a Christian world and then studying it because I didn't know anything about it. I actually had to read church history to know church history. I didn't know it. I studied it over and over because then I wanted to know it. But get pulled into this. One of the things that's most difficult today is the idea of church and fellowship. Now, a lot of people have translated fellowship to mean community. And community is this huge thing that gets talked about today, but that's not what John's referring to. John is not referring to a block party. John is not referring to you having dinner together at your house. John is referring to something much deeper than that. The fellowship that you have with God, you're invited to have with each other. W way different word than community. And I've watched people today worship community and not like fellowship at all. Now, this, always, this has always been a difficult subject for me because it seems a little self-serving for pastors to talk about this because they're pastoring a church and they want people to come to their church. Um, but one of the things, the coldness that's set in in the past decade is church attendance. Well, does church attendance mean fellowship? Not exactly, but pretty close. What? That's why the purpose of us having church is that we are gathering together with other believers, other brothers and sisters who are walking in the same fellowship and the same light that we have. And then when you look at, I mean, look at what the enemies tried to steal through COVID-19. You can't gather together. There's a reason the enemy wants us to isolate. There's a reason he doesn't want us to have church. What? What is that reason? The fellowship. Because you don't have a full idea of fellowship with the Father if you don't have a full idea of fellowship with each other. And that's what John is writing here. That's why I say it seems a little self-serving because it's like, I want more people at church. I do want, we, we have way too many people who uh, come irregularly. It's just like, ah, and if that's you, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or step on anybody's toes. But in John's time when he's writing this, if they could get together, they did. The only thing that would have hindered them would have been threat of life or inability in through climate. 
anything like that. The things that would have stopped that could have physically stopped them would have been the only thing that would have stopped them. They would have laid, they did lay down their lives to be together. Oh, and we don't do that today. And instead, we talk about community. Let's build community. Build community? Live in the gospel. That was the fellowship, Live, living in the one. Um, that was, if, if to achieve God's end for us was to live in fellowship with him, then part of that end is that we live in fellowship with each other. John writes in, in John 1.3 that you also may have fellowship with us. And the us that he's talking about was the entire church at Ephesus. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, he says. So he's inviting everybody into something. So why do we go to church? Well, here's actually what, what, is, what we go to church for. One, we gather together because we can worship God together. Same reason the early church got together. It gave a strength and they were giving to God the acknowledgement from their hearts of what he had done. And they were doing it in fellowship with one another. They were singing unto God, but they were singing with each other. Does that make sense? To hear you sing, and I know much of, you know, maybe lots of things have gone astray with music and church today and all that. But the same purpose is there. They gathered together to give God worship because of their salvation. It was Christ that was the center of why they sang. Why they gathered together to sing together. And they knew that it created a strength because it released joy into their hearts. What if somebody was singing really bad? I don't know. It's probably not the way God heard it because that's us hearing it after the flesh. What he's hearing after the spirit is they're worshiping me together. And so it does something in our human hearts when we gather together and worship. Now this is always really weird because you guys are here and so I'm preaching to people who aren't here to try to get them here. That's why I said it's really awkward and hard. But you should be at church as much as you can every Sunday on time. That was from me. That wasn't the Lord. <laughs> that was free, too. Of all the things that's most sad with that is this. Then another reason we get together is because in the fellowship and in the communion is the exchange of speaking with and listening for God, for each other. I'm not talking about giving words to each other. I'm talking about having fellowship over God so that when you say, oh, well, I was reading, and you do that, it sparks something in somebody else. And we use the methodology or the framework or the operating system of prayer. And that because God lives in me, I can put, I didn't, didn't take the hand, but I can bless Chuck. But if he's not here... Where then is the blessing? And if I'm not here to do it, then how will he receive it? 
I believe that's the way John would have written as an old man to the church then. And Paul said it this way. He said, well, if, if it's the w- preaching of the word that saves them, how will they get saved if there's no one to preach? So here's this spiritual logic that John's also using about how can you have joy if you don't fellowship with one another and bless each other? So the other thing that happens with church is you receive instruction in righteousness. Now that's not stated in the word, but it's stated in Christian tradition. There were those who were, some were called to be apostles, pastors, teachers. That if, if that's not in place, then the instruction isn't there. You don't have to have an instructor, but a really good instructor will do two things. It will point to things that maybe you haven't looked at, that you can have an aha moment. That's my great joy as a teacher, seeing somebody go like that. I, it's just, that's like getting to eat creme brulee. I mean, it's just, uh. But the, the other thing with it. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit is there, but where he is most present, he's with you always, but he's among us. And so there's that release that I can hear something that is going to spark something that week that my cup doesn't become a sieve. And my cup gets filled with joy. And he says, there's only there's only this place that has, happens in the fellowship of saints. Can you do it and not have a church building in settings like this? I've heard all the arguments. Man, I lived through them. I lived through the, you know, uh, carpe diem, uh, this move and that move and do this and don't have the chairs this way and turn them around sideways and put them in small groups and don't, you don't have to have big meetings. Do this, do this, do that. Fellowship. Go to church for fellowship. Well, that's not really fellowship. I want them to look at me and take them home with you. Then have a cup of coffee together. But here's a place where we can come together for a common bond, common purpose. And when we don't do that regularly, here's what happens to our hearts. They get cold. How does that happen? I don't know, but it does. And it's really funny, and we all know this, and this is, that's why I said it seems so self-serving to talk about. When you haven't gone to church for a couple weeks, the third Sunday you don't really want to go. And then you start feeling, go through the guilt-shame thing. But then you start justifying it in yourself because you don't want to lose your fellowship with God, but you know that your fellowship with others, and especially so-and-so because he hurt my feelings, and now you have disdain in your heart. John called it hate. We call it dislike, disdain, or I really don't trust them anymore. That's the truth of the matter. That I would disdain you enough to not be here. Now, some of you know me really well. Some of you sometimes wish you didn't have to know me very well. Some of you I've known for years. Some of you I've only known for months or weeks or anything, but I don't come here for God. You shouldn't either. Don't come here for God. Come here for each other. Because God's already in you and with you. 
So if I'm coming to bless this person, wasn't it sweet that she would come and lead worship today? This is Carmela. And this is our fellowship that she could sing, even though I don't hardly know her, she could sing of the God that knows me and loves me and be a worship leader that leads me to that place. You go, oh, yes, God. And so we have fellowship for one another. That fellowship leads to greater levels of intimacy. You find your friends. Um, I've heard it said to me, well, I can't really make friends at church. Well, then you're not going to make friends. If you're a believer in Christ and can't make friends at church, something's wonky. Not a condemnation. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm talking about a hindrance to understanding the joy that's in God because the joy that's in God is the people that he saved. As a matter of fact, when he saves them, we'll look at it later, they receive a joyful sound. Psalm 89, verse 15, blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. What is that sound? I'm saved, I'm born again, it's Christ. He is the joyful sound. Read, I don't have it up there. Hear this from, this is Romans 15, 1 through 7, but it's in the Phillips. I want you to hear this regarding church attendance or being with community. Whatever label you want to put, I really don't care about the labels, whatever, however you see that. And why we do it, and this is what Paul said about it. We who have strong faith ought to shoulder the burden of the doubts and qualms of others and not just go our own sweet way. Our actions should mean the good of others, should help them to build up their character. For even Christ did not choose his own pleasure, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For all those words which were written long ago are meant to teach us today. That when we read in the scriptures of the endurance of men and of all the help that God gave them in those days, we may be encouraged to go on hoping in our own time. May the God who inspires men to endure and give them a father's care give you a mind united towards one another because your common loyalty is to Jesus Christ. And then, as one person, you will sing from the heart the praises of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when God hears us sing, when we're doing it that way, over fellowship, he hears one voice, not many. Is that not stunning? I think it's stunning. So he says, so open your hearts to one another as Christ has opened his heart to you. And God will be glorified. I don't know of any worshiper who doesn't, hasn't either sung this or thought this or said this, oh God, I want my life to glorify you. And he says, sing with others and it will. Singing alone, it does. But singing with others, he sees us in Christ together, in fellowship, over him. In him, through him, and to him. And when he hears us sing, he's hearing a voice. 
one voice, crystal clear. I think it's stunning. And that, when we, when we forsake that, the writer of Hebrews says, when we forsake the gathering together, we lose our confidence in God. You can't lose your salvation. You lose your confidence in God. And when you lose your confidence in God, your joy isn't there. I am most joyous when I'm most confident of who God is and who he says I am. I get very <clears throat> non-confident when I start talking about who I am with my weaknesses and flaws without first stating I am in Christ and Christ is in me and it's the hope of glory. Glory. Another hindrance. He lays it out very clearly and so much, so much bashing has gone down with this that it's, it's almost like you read this verse like a rebuke and that, remember, he's writing an encouragement. So he's saying in this next part, what else can interfere? What else gets in the way of our joy? He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father just isn't in him. It's not, it, it, it doesn't compete. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Don't search for God's will, be God's will. God is living in you. Well, that means I have to do something. No, you have to be something. You have to be that instrument that when we fellowship together, you are the will of God to somebody else by saying, hi, good morning. And you greet their eyes. And they've thought all week, I'm the most despicable me I know. And they're not going to tell you that, but they've had this, we all say, how was your week? Fine. How are you doing? Fine, just fine. You know, and it's the old, if you read it, you know, The Cure. It's the old I'm fine mask. When in reality, I was mad at my kids. I didn't like my job. I was going to quit. I don't have enough money. And you start listing out all the things that are a hindrance. If we could come together and be honest and go, yeah, I, I didn't have a very good week and I have some needs. And then our fellowship can be around Christ. The need can be met and the joy and the issue of it and how we look at it can be changed in a moment of time and you can be by doing one thing a smile can be a gift from God to somebody a smile can be it took me a long time to learn that and a lot of times I, I tell you this so many times especially with running a discipleship program for years so many young people I had thousands and thousands of conversations of which I have forgotten 99% of them but I will years later have somebody look at me and said and you said to me da 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 and it changed my life and I go and I did yes you told me and it's this nugget for them and I'm just being Lloyd but here's the thing, you're not just Lloyd. You're Lloyd Christ in him, the hope of glory. Without ever having to say, thus saith the Lord. It's just, huh, 
It's asking a question. Why, why, what made you decide to do that? And that opened up an avenue for the Holy Spirit to speak in their life and you were the will of God to them. Does that make sense? Being the will of God. When the love of the world is in you, you don't have that because everything that's in the world is temporary. I know it's wonderful. I live in one of the most beautiful homes. Oh, I'm so grateful for it. And you're supposed to be. But it's going to burn up. That's the reality. Eternity was placed into us in such a way that all of this is beauty, sort of. It doesn't compare to the beauty of God in eternity. Because these things, he said, are passing away. And when we make them... See, that's why I, I even get into it with people over the justice issues on the earth. We were called to bring the justice of God to the earth. No, God will bring the justice of God to the earth. Yes, but he'll use people. He'll, he'll do it how he wants. I know that. Um, but all the people that think that think he's only going to use them and have disdain for the others that he's not going to use, if you get my drift. What's important our fellowship with God and our understanding of this. He's, he's saying right here, that stuff hinders in the way of your ability to see and grasp that and to understand that. And it's about, it's, it's not about doing or not doing. That's why I said we've turned this verse into a uh, bash it wrong if you have this or have that, and it's not. And that goes to the next one. We'll close with this. False teaching. So much has been made of this that it's not. Paul's writing to this church, and there's so much. In, in false teaching, you have to understand, he's not writing to people outside of the church that are talking about church. He's writing to people that are in church that have wrong views of God. And are stating stuff as a teacher of something that's not true of God. And attributing to things that aren't true of God. That's why I've been such a, a stickler about talking about theology. And for, for 20 years of the charismatic movement, you were sort of on the outside if you talked theology. I don't, I don't want to do all that theological stuff. But theology is what you believe. What do you believe? Because we live out of what we believe not out of what we do or don't do. What do you believe to be true about God? And then when false, he said, this can be a hindrance because it's trying to deceive you into seeing a view of God that's not accurate of God. Of all the things that I've ever asked God to forgive me for, it was that. Because stuff I believe today, 20 years ago, I would have called heresy and they're probably off. Does that make me a lunatic, a liar, or what? No, it makes me somebody that's growing in Christ. And everybody's going in Christ, so I have no condemnation for anybody. But oh my gosh. Believe stuff that's true about God. Always check it against the word. Is that true about God? Because it's all there. Remember, there's no lie in him. There is no lie in God. And that's where we get into the issues of what did God mean when he said? Well, God means what he says he says. And we try to make something of it that it's not. 
And it's the ones who try to, there's a, one particular line in there, and that's about eternal life. Eternal life is found in God. And any teaching that tries to detract from that did not understand that Jesus came in the flesh died and rose again so that you could be justified before God and have eternal life. Anything that doesn't agree with that is flat wrong. It just is. Any distortion of that is flat wrong because the word's very clear that he was raised for your justification. There is no other justification that you can receive except through the salvation of Jesus Christ. No amount of praying that you do, all that stuff, different things that we were taught, it's what Jesus did. It's, it's stunning. So I just want to close that. It's what Jesus did. So there. How do we then know joy? It's found in this really wonderful verse in the Psalms. And I want to close with, with this. Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. This was a prophetic psalm talking about what would happen when Jesus came and lived in the lives of believers. Stunning. Phenomenal. Incredible. You can have it all day long. Nothing can steal it from you. Nothing can take it from you. You know the only joyful sound, the only sound that produces joy is the sound of Christ in you. There isn't any other joy. Well, I hear it in a child, sort of, a reflection, a child's laughter, joyful. Yeah, it's a reflection, but remember, this isn't a silly joy or a laughing joy. This is the deep-seated joy of knowing that we have peace with God and his light, his countenance, his face, the longing to look at his face. His face is shining down in you right now. So look at us, God. Say so in fellowship, I can declare the truth of God's words, and I can revel in his love in eternity. I can revel in it. There's no boundary on how much. You remember the Adele song, Rolling in the Deep? Sort of. Did any of you like Adele? Okay. I really liked her first album. I didn't even listen too much after that. But rolling in the you can roll in the deep of God's love. There's no boundary on it. How much can I make of it? Everything and more. How much can I talk about it every all the time and more? How much can I receive it all the time and more? And more and more and more and more. There's no limit. There's no okay, you're going a little bit overboard with that. No. You're not. Stand with me. I'm, I'm not going to have you go up, hon. So, I went long, so. I pray, I pray, uh, we were joking last week about Ireland and the, and the term gobsmacked, which means to have your face smacked. I hope you get gobsmacked by God this week. In a very good way. 
I hope that joy, that you just wake up and start laughing. And, and you're going, oh, and realize that it's God. And that he cares for you. And that he loves you as his child. He loves you as his friend. He loves you as his creation. There's so many ways that he loves you. Oh, we sang it. Oh, how he loves. So Lord, I pray for our hearts right now that the revelation of who you are and the deep fellowship that we have with you, Father, through the Son, by the actions of the Holy Spirit would be ours this week. I pray that every heart that feels down would be lifted up. And the mountain place of God would reverberate with the worship of them in you. In Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.